If you would, open your copy of God's Word and remain standing. We'll be reading from first from Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 18, and then Acts 3, 17 through 24. <clears throat> A bit of context as we're kind of jumping into two passages here. Deuteronomy is a set of sermons given by Moses at the end of his life, uh, at the end of 40 years of wandering through the wilderness. Uh, they're about to cross the Jordan and enter into the promised land, uh, but not Moses. So as God's prophet, Moses is delivering in these sermons the truths of God to his people. He's standing between God and his people as the mediator. And in Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 18, Moses foretells to God's people of another prophet that is coming after him that will speak the truth, the words of God, to his people. So Deuteronomy 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from, among your, or from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see his great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So now turn to Acts three seventeen through 24. And here in Acts, Peter is speaking to the Jews in the temple. They are amazed at a, a sign that Peter has performed, and they want to give Peter glory, and instead he rebukes them uh, and calls them to repent for not acknowledging Christ um, as the Messiah, and as uh, being the long-awaited prophet that Moses uh, spoke of in Deuteronomy 18. So Acts 3, 17 through 24. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that is, Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, as we just read, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers, you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets uh, and all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those days who came after him also proclaimed these days. This is the word of our Lord. Well, Beloved congregation, it's so good to be with you this, this morning on a beautiful uh, Advent morning. It's perfect down the snow. I echo Robert's uh, words. I wish we planned that, but that's the Lord in his kindness and providence to us give us such a beautiful morning on this first Advent. 
It is my privilege to begin our Advent series this year. The subject of this year's theme is Christ the Mediator, his threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. Uh, Martin Luther said that Jesus Christ is the center and circumference of the Bible. And just by way of personal anecdote, it's my joy, really, uh, to preach Christ. I consider it my highest joy, the joy of my life, to stand here each Lord's Day, more or less, and to preach to you the gospel of the living God and centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope it is the joy of your life to hear Christ preached. I hope it is the joy of this church. I hope it is the banner that waves above this church that Christ is proclaimed. Uh, Solus Christus, may he be magnified and exalted all our days, but specifically in Advent, uh, it's just unique that we get to spend a month or so um, in particular looking and studying and hopefully at the end uh, adoring and treasuring uh, this great Redeemer and Mediator we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the joy of my life and I hope it's the joy of yours my goal today is twofold. I want to make a, general, a few general comments on Christ as mediator, prophet, priest, and king. What are we talking about when we talk about Christ, the mediator, or the redeemer, as the catechisms call it? So I want to make some general comments about his ministry of prophet, priest, and king. We're going to take these separately throughout the coming weeks, but I'll make a few general comments this morning. And then I want to address, secondly, Christ's office as prophet in particular. All right? That's where we're going. Today's a little bit unique. We're not going to look at the Bible uh, verse by verse. This is going to be more of a theological uh, message rather than a sequential uh, expositional um, sermon from a text. So we just finished Colossians. This is kind of a, a little bit unusual for us, but... Uh, I think it's good to pause at times to consider some biblical and theological themes of Christ as our mediator. So, here we go. Christ as mediator, first observation or theme I want to address is that the offices of prophet, priest, and king are distinct but not separate. All right? At no time... Is Christ only executing one office? Christ, in other words, never takes off the hat of prophet and puts on the hat of priest or king. Christ as mediator is always prophet, priest, and king jointly. All right? So take, for example, Christ's death. His death is certainly an act of his priestly office, right? He makes a way, access to God as he offers himself upon the cross. So he's a priest, no doubt, upon the tree. But isn't it also true, beloved, that in his death, Christ is conquering his enemies as king? Colossians 2.15 and isn't it also true, beloved, 
that in his death, he was ministering as prophet to the thief on the cross, speaking to him about the ways of paradise, offering to him the gospel, of which that way the thief on the cross accepted? And isn't it also true that upon the tree, Christ as prophet was ministering to his mother, Mary, and to John? Behold your mother, and behold your son. Even in his death, Christ is executing all three offices at once. What a glorious Savior we have. Herman Bovink says, quote, he is a prophet, but his word is power. He is a priest, but lives by dying, conquers by suffering, and is all-powerful by his love. He is always all these things together, never the one without the other, mighty in speech and action as a king, and full of grace and truth in his royal rule. Amen to that truth. So the offices of prophet, priest, and king are distinct. We will address these in each Lord's Day, but they are never separate. Second observation. In Christ, we have a threefold remedy for a threefold problem. In Christ, we have a threefold remedy for a threefold problem. Original sin consigns the sinner under a threefold problem. Ignorance, 1 Corinthians 2. Guilt, Ephesians 2. And bondage, Romans 8, 3. That's the bad news. The threefold office of Christ, thankfully, corresponds and overcomes the sinner's threefold problem. Prophetic light scatters the darkness of error. The merit of the priest takes away guilt. And the power of the king removes the bondage of sin and death. In Christ, we have a threefold remedy for our threefold problem. Not wonderful. I'm going to show you this just from Scripture. So Isaiah 61, turn there, would you? Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. This is how you should be reading the Bible, taking your theology to the Bible and, and extracting that doctrine from it. Christ actually quotes this text in the synagogue in Luke chapter 4 in his ministry. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. So there's his office of prophet. He's proclaiming good news. That's the remedy to the poor. There's our problem. We're poor in righteousness. We lack what it takes to be with God. You see it? He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. 
There's the priestly office. Our hearts are shattered by sin, alienated from God, and and as priest, he comes and binds us up. And then lastly, in verse 1, and to opening of the prison to those who are bound. There's the kingly office. You see it? We are bound in sin. There's our problem and bondage. And Christ the King comes and opens the prison doors and sets us free in his grace. The Second London Confession puts it like this. The number and order of offices is necessary. For in respect of our ignorance, we stand in need of his prophetical office. And in respect to our alienation from God and in perfection of the best of our services, we need his priestly office to reconcile us and present us acceptable unto God. And in respect to our averseness and utter inability to return to God and for our rescue and security from our spiritual adversaries, we need his kingly office to convince, subdue, draw, uphold, deliver, and preserve us to his heavenly kingdom. In other words, beloved, what we have in Christ is a Savior perfectly suited to save the entire sinner. We have a whole Christ for a whole sinner, and we need every bit of him. Third observation. This is the last one. Then we'll move on to Christ as prophet. Three, Christ's threefold office confirms him as the last Adam. Christ's threefold office confirms him as the last Adam. Adam himself was a prophet, priest, and a king. As a king, Adam was given dominion over creation, Genesis 1.28, and told to subdue things kings do, right? They subdue every living thing that lives on the earth. The Garden of Eden was most likely on a mountain, Ezekiel 28, a fitting place for a king to rule his creation. Mark Jones writes, quote, What Adam lost as king, Christ had to regain. As a priest, Adam was commanded to guard the Garden of Eden, worshiping God on the seventh day, the only day blessed by God for rest and worship. The Old Testament priests were likewise to guard the tabernacle. Numbers 3. So Christ, so Christ as priest guards the temple, you and me, the church, by destroying the works of the devil, something Adam failed to do. Mark Jones again, quote, Adam should have snapped the serpent's head off. Yes, he should have. Christ, however, crushed the serpent's head, Jones says. Romans 16, 20. And listen to this. But he did so by letting his temple be destroyed. John 2, 19. And finally, Adam was a prophet. God spoke directly to Adam. 
as he did with other prophets, Amos and Jeremiah, Ezekiel and Isaiah, Moses, etc. God gave Adam the cultural mandate to fill the earth with his offspring. But you know the story. Adam, as prophet and as king and as priest, fails. Christ, as prophet of the new creation, remember 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Remember that? That means the new creation age has dawned spiritually at the ministry of Christ and when a sinner comes to faith in Christ. It'll be consummated physically, yes, but it has begun already spiritually. So Christ as prophet of the new creation gives his people not the, not the cultural mandate. That's jumping the eschatological gun. He doesn't give the church the cultural mandate to subdue. He gives the church the great commission to make disciples of all nations, promising to be with them to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. So everywhere Adam failed, Christ flourished. We need all of him, and we need everything he did. And that's what Advent is all about. Getting, as Sinclair Ferguson says, getting clearer visions of Christ and better visions of him to the eyes of faith. So Christ as mediator, what are we talking about this month? Prophet, priest, and king are distinct offices but not separate a threefold remedy for a, uh, a threefold problem, and his threefold office confirms Christ as the last Adam. Now, with the remaining time, I want to talk to you a little bit about Christ as prophet, and I struggled to narrow down exactly what we wanted to talk about here. So if I leave things out, I apologize in advance. Christ as prophet. First kind of subheading is what is a prophet and what is a prophet's duty? What is a prophet? We're talking about Christ as prophet. What is a prophet in general and what is his duty? Well, if you look at the Old Testament and New Testament, prophets were, here's my short definition, prophets were authoritative spokesmen. So they were heralds. They were preachers. Okay? They were authoritative spokesmen called by God to reveal his will to the people. Okay? So Westminster, Shorter Catechism, uh, question and answer 24, what, is, what office or what is the duty of Christ's uh, office as um, prophet? Uh, he executes that office by way of showing God's will. So again, prophets are authoritative spokesmen called by God, to reveal his will to the people. Now, notice the passive and active sense. A prophet needs to be called by God. Think of uh, Isaiah 6, that glorious scene there in the temple. Jeremiah 1, they need to be called by God. They don't call themselves. There's this passive 
element to being a prophet where God then gives the prophet his divine revelation. And there's an active sense where they then go out filled with God's word, go out and proclaim and speak about God's will to the people. Now, their preaching involved both law and gospel, stern rebukes and glorious promises. And after Advent, we're going to study the book of Isaiah, and we will see some of these um, traits of Isaiah the prophet coming through. Law and gospel, stern rebukes, glorious promises. Louis Burkhoff says it like this, prophets were the ministerial monitors of the people. Kind of reminded me of hall monitors back in the day. They preached against formalism, pretense, duplicity, and idolatry. They were, as, as one author says, covenant lawyers. They brought the law of God to bear upon God's people. And they called them back to fidelity and faithfulness to what they said they would obey. But in addition to the law, they also proclaimed the glorious works of God. Creation. Providence. Redemption. And with a specific note concerning the Messiah and his coming everlasting kingdom. So the big idea of a prophet is that he represents God to the people. All right, that's the big idea. A priest represents man to God, sheds blood on man's behalf unto God. A prophet represents God to the people. Okay? And that sets the stage. That redemptive context sets the stage for Christ as prophet. Because when the eternal Son assumes flesh, the, the wonder of all wonders, isn't it? When the eternal Son assumes flesh, he executes his prophetic office not merely as another prophet in the long line of many. He executes his prophetic office as Emmanuel, the God-man, God with us. Which means, in Christ, and in Christ alone, may I add, we have the pure, perfect, full, and final revelation of God. There's, there's nothing else for God to give. As we've said before, when Christ, when, or when God gives his son, he not only gives his best, he gives his all, right? So when we see Christ in his word, we know that God held nothing back for you to know him. And this is why there is that marvelous scene on the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you remember that scene? Peter, James, and John are with the Lord on a mountain. And Christ there is transfigured. He's got some 
pre-glorified manifestation. And he's talking to the two greatest prophets of old, Moses and Elijah. Remember this? And you're like, what is going on here? And Peter's like, I'm going to build some tents for you. And Jesus is like, you're missing the point. And what happens? The disciples hear a voice from heaven, the Father, and he says, this is my beloved son. And what does he say next? Listen to him. Why? Because there's nothing else for the Father to give you by which you may know him savingly. So if you miss Christ, you miss it all because he's the best. He's the preeminent one. He's all there is. The Father has nothing left for get to give. What else would he give you to persuade you, beloved, that you might listen to him? And so he says, ah, ah, I know what I'll give. I'll give the Son, he who is co-eternal and co-equal with me. So listen to him, he says. What else, beloved, does God need to do for you to listen to Christ? You cannot master many things in this world. Master Christ. Master the Lord Jesus Christ. Center your faith and your knowledge all upon this wonderful prophet who comes to speak a word to you. Now, in Scripture, when it comes to Christ being recognized as prophet, it is all over the place. Luke 13.33, we are not going to turn to all of these. I'm just going to rattle these off. Luke 13.33, in other words, the office of Christ was not lost on people. Luke 13.33, Christ speaks of himself as a prophet as he mourns over Jerusalem. Why? Because they would not listen. He is named a great prophet, Luke 7.16. He is called a teacher sent by God, John 3.2. He is the apostle of our confession, Hebrews 3.1. A shepherd, Ezekiel 34.23. By the way, Christ was active as prophet even before his incarnation. All right? Read 1 Peter 1.11. As he was working through the prophets and the patriarchs, he was the spirit of revelation inspiring those people to preach. 1 Peter 1.11. He is the good shepherd, John 10.11. He is our lawgiver, Isaiah 33.22. He is our counselor, Isaiah 9.6. A minister, Romans 15.8. Even the officers sent by the Pharisees to arrest Jesus reported back in astonishment, no one has ever spoken like this man. What is going on here? John 7, 46. In Hebrews 1, we are told that revelation has been sealed in Christ. 
Sealed in Christ. Why? Because Christ is the final revelation of God. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers. But by the prophets in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. As prophet, Christ brings a message from the Father, John 8, 26. He administers the sacraments as your minister. He raises the downcast. He foretells future things, Matthew 24, 3 through 35. Christ doesn't simply declare God's word. John 1 tells us what? He is the word. Whoa. You're supposed to come to John 1 and think, no prophet has ever been that. And lastly, in John 7, Jesus stands before the crowd. He quotes Isaiah 55. And he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Christ doesn't simply preach the gospel. He is the gospel. And so he stands before a crowd Come to me and find satisfaction and fulfillment in all that I am as prophet for you in the gospel. Listen to me. Oh, how glorious Christ is. One author writes, and I'm almost done. Take comfort, beloved that we have a prophet, a messenger, one among thousands who gives us God because he is God. We have a prophet, one worth them all, as the very wisdom of God, and he has been made for us wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.30 He is in the bosom of the Father, John 1.18 We have no prophet who not, we have a prophet who not only can teach externally, but also illuminates internally by his spirit, (laughs) leading us into all truth that he may abide with us, be in us, and we in him forever. Christ is still executing his office as prophet, even in his state of exaltation as the Father and the Son send the Spirit to minister to you that this word might be the word above all words in your life and that you might listen to Christ and see him and get larger views of the Savior and get clearer views of him. Well, it's said that a common diamond has 58 facets. And I agree with Martin Luther. Christ is the diamond of Scripture. And all I've tried to do today, beloved, is to show you one facet of Christ. That's it. There are 57 more. There's probably a million more, aren't there? He's that rare jewel of the Bible. So lift this beautiful diamond up this Advent season.
lift him up and look at him, be amazed at him, study him, adore him, and worship him. Amen. Let's pray. My Lord, gracious God, we are thankful for your grace in our lives and those ways in which you show us Christ. So, so great is our great God to give us this, this treasure in a field. And God, we pray that Christ would be enlarged to the eyes of faith today. And over this next month, may Christ become all the more glorious to us as we hear him preached and as we see him in his word and at his table. Amen.